You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Our scripture reader is Kathy Carter. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. This is titled Timothy's Encouraging Report. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Well, today we come to the epicenter of 1 Thessalonians and the passage you may be noted from which we get the title for our series, Standing Firm in the Lord. I've been amazed just this summer watching the construction along 169. And I don't know, maybe amazed is not the right word for some of us <laughs> trying to get through town. And I realized too, some of us were driving from all different places to get to Elk River, so maybe you haven't been up that way. But we live in Zimmerman, so it's a pretty regular route for us. And I will find myself purposely driving the 169 route, just so I can see the progress of the construction. And I love to watch these cranes and the bulldozers and the massive slopes of dirt that are taking shape. And then this was a big week. I was stopping in at Dunn Brothers and, you know, the talk of especially the regulars who are there in the morning, the bridge beams were going in. And so that was pretty fun to watch. And I was reading up on the project a little bit and found out a little bit more about those kinds of overpasses, the bridges that are used. The two that are going up this summer in Elk River are considered the workhorse of the American highway system. It's called a concrete beam bridge. And so without any support between the two distances, they can stretch up to 250 feet. Now, of course, they can be strung together, so you could have a a much longer bridge, but as we're seeing go up in front of our eyes, you've got those abutments, the columns that go down on either side and the bridge that goes across. And as I learned about them, I found out that as impressive as it was to see the bridge beams set into place, they really don't do the bulk of the work on the bridge. But it's those columns. It's the abutments. So all the weight from the bridge and all the vehicles that are how many tens of thousands will go on 169 every day, All that weight is transferred to the ends, and then it's transferred vertically down into the ground. And so there they are, holding up all this weight day and night, 24-7, once it's all finished and we're all driving on it. Rain or shine, 100-degree heat, rain, snow, ice, so that you and I can drive over it or under it without any second thought to our safety 
Isn't that a gift on the roadways that we have? Or just getting rid of the sheer inconvenience of sitting at a stoplight. Standing firm. It's an expression that we find actually in First and Second Thessalonians, second half of summer. We'll move into part two. And quite a few other places. And the very phrase, I find, suggests that it wouldn't have to be that way. You wouldn't have to stand firm. It's not automatic. There's plenty of occasions where it might be easier to stand for a while. Maybe some of you had jobs or have a job where you're on your feet for long hours. And then it would just be easier to sit down or to run for cover. Or more dramatically, we can be in situations where you could get knocked off your feet or give up or topple over. You and I know in this life what it means to be pressed in from all sides or under the gun or under duress from any number of sources, many of them external, but also by way of our own weaknesses. And yet the Bible says to us, stand firm. It's an imperative that is not found in yourself. That's good news this morning. It's not found in your own strength or resources or you having enough good ideas to pull it off, but it says stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in faith. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we look at this passage. My son Lennox asked if there's any good jokes in the sermon today. (laughs) I am not a comedian, but I am confident that the Lord has good news for you today and that He will strengthen your faith in ways not even known to me, but in ways that he knows that you need. So I have outlined our passage today in three parts, and those will be the three main slides that you see on the screen as we make our way through. Here is the first. Number one, our hearts are strengthened by the faith and love of other believers. Just one verse for this section, actually but it carries the whole of the first idea. Our hearts are strengthened by the faith and love of other believers, some who are around these tables with you. By believers, we mean, when we run into that word in the Bible or we use it, we mean those who are actively following Christ. So we're not talking about checking the box, religious affiliation, church attending, cultural Christianity, but we're talking about a disciple. A believer is a disciple. And seeing or hearing about the faith and love of another believer, this section tells us, actually strengthens your own heart. Paul's writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica, and we mentioned a couple weeks back he has two co-authors, Silas and Timothy. But Paul appears to be the main author, and he says to the Thessalonians, but Timothy has just now come to us from you, and has brought good news about your faith and love. And if you remember the background from the previous couple weeks, Paul and Silas had founded this church in this city called Thessalonica. They'd brought the news of Jesus to this city, and people, both Jewish and non-Jewish, are coming to faith in Jesus. And yet then, these apostles were chased out of town pretty quickly, escaping under cover of night. And so as they made their way along through the rest of Macedonia, they were wondering after that, how is that little church doing that we started up? How are the young believers doing in such a hostile environment? Have they given up 
Or are they standing firm? Another question that was on in their minds, did they resent us because we had to hurry out of town so fast? Or do they miss us as much as we miss them? They didn't know. They didn't know until they were able to send Timothy from Athens to go and visit and bring back the report. And that's what they're referencing. But Athens to Thessalonica, one way, is over 200 miles. So you imagine just traveling on foot and then spending time in the city. This whole process was drawn out over many weeks. And you can imagine Paul and Silas waiting with bated breath and with many fervent prayers. And then finally Timothy appears on the horizon and he is returning with good news. Their faith in the Lord and their love for others had made it. They had stood firm and not given up. And hand in hand with that, their affection for the apostles, Paul and Silas and Timothy, was unwavering. Paul says, as the verse continues, we hear that you have pleasant memories of us and you long to see us just as we long to see you. And 1 Thessalonians is one of the letters in the New Testament that's just brimming with affection. Like when you would be separated from a friend or a loved one, and and some of you have had seasons in life like this, or even now, where you just long to be able to see that other person who's long distance. That's this opening section. There is a biblical principle that your heart is actually strengthened when you hear about the faith and love of other believers. We're reminded that there are no lone rangers in the family of God. Now, some of you are a little more private, and that's just fine. It's not a problem, but you can't be solo. Following Jesus is something that we do in community, in relationship. And maybe you, like I, have heard this over the years. Sometimes a friend or neighbor or somebody I know will say, well, I'm spiritual but not religious. And maybe some of you have described yourself in the past that way. I'm spiritual but not religious. There's a lot we could say about that sentiment, but for the purpose of this conversation, let's just say that it doesn't work that way. It works if you're agnostic, but it does not work if you claim to follow Christ. There's no such thing as privatized Christianity that is removed from the church. I have some classmates in my doctoral cohort who I only see but a few days a year when we're attending the residency. But hearing of their faith and love has strengthened my heart. And I want to tell you about two of them. And purposely, I I picked two who are not vocational pastors like I am. Because I don't want this to feel so far afield from any one of us. The first one I'll tell you about is a businessman named Peter Cho. Peter is Taiwanese. He lives in Irvine, California. His day job is running the company that he founded that creates digital microscopes for companies like SpaceX. But what he loves to do more than anything is to serve his Chinese-speaking congregation in Irvine where he volunteers as a pastor. Or there's John Johnson. I told him, John Johnson, I said, I think there's a a song I learned growing up about Jan Janssen from Wisconsin. Anybody know that one? (laughs) He didn't think it was funny, but... John served for 13 years in the U.S. Navy Seabees. That's the construction battalion. And then 
When he was done in his military service, he led a civilian construction firm. And then one day, he and his wife were sitting at church, and they heard about this fledgling school for deaf children in Guatemala. And there's almost no services for the deaf in Guatemala. And so they led a mission trip there, of course, construction-oriented, to go and to help the school, and that trip changed their life. He came back to the U.S., and he quit his day job. They sold everything they had, and they moved to Guatemala permanently with their three boys, age 12 and under, to learn Spanish, learn sign language, and to lead the school. Who do you know whose faith and love is strengthening your heart. And I'll remind you, it doesn't have to be far from home. Some of the most inspiring examples of faith and love in my life are the people who walk through these doors every single Sunday, our church family. The Navy Seabees motto, my friend John, the motto of that military unit is, we build, we fight. And I was thinking, well, how does that translate into our mission here? I'm not exactly sure, but maybe it'd be something like this. We believe, we love. That's what Paul would, would have us say. We believe, we love, and we do it together. That's the first section. Let's move to the second, and I've put that theme up for us on the screen. Number two, standing firm in the Lord leads to life. You can see that this one spans verses 7 to 10. Standing firm is a phrase that, as I said, we run into in the Bible. Let me just name three examples. It's so uh, all over the New Testament, I found three books of the Bible right in a row that have this phrase. Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ set us free, therefore stand firm. We move to Ephesians chapter 6, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm. From there we go to Philippians 4. Therefore, my beloved, he says, my crown and my joy, in this way stand firm. And we could go on and on through the New Testament. And if you're interested, this would be a great word study where you can look up where does this occur every time in the New Testament. It's the word stako in Greek. And you could trace, stand firm all the way through the New Testament. Paul says in verse 7, Therefore, brothers and sisters... In all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. And that begs the question, doesn't it? Can you really feel encouraged in a season of great difficulty? Can you really feel encouraged when things are tough? And Paul would say, yes, you can. For him in this moment, he says, it's just by hearing of the faith of the Thessalonians. It was like a respite in the middle of a storm, a glimmer of sunlight. And he and Silas and Timothy, they knew pretty grave challenges that we've traced in the weeks past. They'd been beaten and jailed in Philippi. They'd been chased out of Thessalonica. Paul had been scorned and ridiculed in Athens. And now he's writing from Corinth. If we look at 1 Corinthians, he says, in weakness and fear and much trembling. But he's so encouraged. He says in in verse 8, For now we really live if you are standing firm in the Lord. Our NIV, which is the one up here in the Blue Bibles, 
says, since you are standing firm in the Lord, which is causal. But this is a case, we have many good translations in English, and I think the other translations get it more precisely. The ESV, CSB, NASB would all say, if. If. It's conditional. Now, it still does imply that they are now standing firm in the Lord. That's why Paul is so encouraged, but it also tells them, you must continue in it. If you are standing firm in the Lord, it will bring life. And I want to speak specifically to our students this morning who are on summer break. Students, if you stand firm in the Lord, it will bring you life. You will make it through middle school. You will make it through high school. And you will flourish spiritually. Let me just give you an example. The greatest thing that you could do when your mental health rises up against you is to stand firm in the Lord. It brings life. It brings healing. That's not the only thing that you can do. There's, of course, wonderful tools and resources that the Lord brings to us. But your spiritual vitality is the greatest weapon that you have against anxiety, depression, loneliness, or whatever else the case might be. Paul's so encouraged by the perseverance of the Thessalonians that he says, how can we thank God enough for you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we will see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. And you can just see this whole letter is wrapped in gratitude and joy. And again we see his affection. Paul says, night and day I'm praying for you. And he has two prayer requests. Do you see him? First, to see them again. And secondly, to supply what is lacking in their faith. Remember, the stay in Thessalonica was pretty short. We don't know exactly. It was a few weeks, a couple months. Not really that long to start a church with a group of new believers. And so there's deficiencies. And we're going to see a couple examples in chapter 4 in the coming weeks. They didn't take to heart or accept some of the teaching on sexuality, so Paul addresses that. Another example was in their work life, in their work practices. There were things that were skewed and it was damaging their testimony. And these same principles, or this overarching one, can be true for us. We can be lacking in aspects of our faith and need further teaching or admonishment. And I'll tell you, I will be first in line when it comes to that. So I'm asking the Lord as I'm looking at this passage this week, Lord, what is lacking in my faith? What do I still have to learn? What do you want to teach me? And we can ask the Lord that question in prayer and we can actually, in safe community, in Y group or whatever that might be, we can ask one another. The word supply is a teaching word. So in lots of other Greek literature from 2,000 years ago, we would see this word in an educational context. And we happen to be in a church community where we have a lot of educators, both present and retired, and I might add future educators, future teachers who will grow up here. And may this continue to be, this community, a safe place to seek the truth. To learn who Jesus is and to mature in our faith. To be taught and supplied in whatever is lacking. And with that, we come to the third part of our outline. Here's the slide for part three. 
pray for God to direct your way and double your love. That's my paraphrase. Pray for God to direct your way and double your love. This third section is a prayer. It's a prayer that closes out a, a larger portion of the letter. Actually, two, one, chapter 2, verse 1, all the way to 3.10. And then we come to this closing prayer to the section. And I've applied it to us, praying that God would direct your way and double your love. Those are the two things. And here's how Paul phrases it. He says first, Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Remember what he wants, that first prayer request earlier, was that he would get back to see the Thessalonians. Now we might wonder, did God ever fulfill this wish that he writes about? We think, pretty strong evidence in Acts and in some of the other letters and the geographical notes, that he did. We know that Paul returned to Macedonia, and so then it would have been very likely that he got back to Thessalonica. And yet in this moment as he writes, that's yet to come and it's still unknown to Paul. So he's waiting and he's praying that God would clear the way. And literally it says there that he would make straight the way. Their roads in those days were very rarely straight. They curved all over the place, over existing property lines, over natural barriers that were in the way. It was rarely ever a straight line from point A to point B. And my guess is that you would find some of the ways in your life look quite similar. So here's a prayer for you that God would clear the way. Maybe right now you're halfway in between point A and point B, or you're lost, or you're stuck. Or you don't know which way to go. And here we have a prayer that God would move and speak and lead and that He would clear the way. And you can trust Him that He will. Maybe not overnight as Paul knew from his own story. But He has said, Jesus has said to you that He will never leave you nor forsake you. And here Paul also trusts Him to direct the way. Secondly, he says in verse 12, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as He does ours. What I think is so striking about this line right here is that the Thessalonians were already well known for their love for others. So not every church we run into in these New Testament letters was like that, by the way. But the Thessalonians are commended for how well they love each other and yet Paul is praying for more. May we pray for more. That the love that already exists would increase more, Paul says, even to the point of overflowing. And note the object of their love is twofold. Paul says first, it's your love for each other. Meaning here, in Jesus' family, in the church. We have to mean business when it comes to the matter of loving each other well. Jesus said, we think of this verse in John 13, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we remind ourselves periodically, this is not a club for people who are here that think the same way that I do, who like all the same things, who live in the same neighborhoods, but this is a family, it's a patchwork family that has been grafted together by the blood of Jesus and the love of our Heavenly Father. 
And we get to reflect that love from one to another. And yet it doesn't stop there, does it? It says that our love would increase and overflow first for each other and, Paul says, for everyone else. And this is why sharing His love is written right into the mission statement of the Y Church. In the fall, as probably by now many of you know, as we've been preparing for it and previewing it, we'll shift to two Sunday morning services for the school year. Summer will look like this at 9.30, but for the first time in our history in the school year, we're going to have two Sunday morning services. We've never done that before. We've only had one service all year round for 13 years, but it is time to make room. Not more room so that we have more options. And you can decide whether you want to go to the 9 o'clock concert or if you went to the Taylor Swift or the 9 o'clock service. So if you, if you went to the Taylor Swift concert, then you could choose 1045. It's not for more options for us if you like to get up early or sleep in. We're not looking to create more room so that we can shuffle the deck in Elk River and that people from other churches then have more options and they might choose to come here. No, the sole purpose for adding a second service is what? It is to make room for more people who need to hear the good news of Jesus. And they're not far away. They're people who live next door to me and you. They're people that you know from school or from work. Or parents that you've gotten to know through your kids' sports. There is good news here that anyone and everyone needs to hear. And it is our love that compels us to bring them and invite them and to make more room. So Paul's prayer is to direct your way and double your love. And then comes the intended result. Here it is, the last verse on the screen. So that, and I added the so that because it's there in the Greek, so that he may strengthen your hearts as blameless and holy when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. You realize that God is doing something inside of you, even now, today. He is actively strengthening your heart as you are praying for more of His ways and more of His love. And that is probably, wouldn't you say, that's probably the most important thing that is actually happening in your life right now. That God is doing this work. Of all the things going on in your life, there is a refining and a maturing of your inner being in Christ that has eternal ramifications. The rest... Is all going to pass away. But God has made you for eternity. Here's your one sentence summary. I tried to put all this in, in one way that you can take home. Standing firm in faith strengthens the heart. And so as we close, my brothers and sisters, are you standing firm? Does this describe your life? Are you holding fast? Is your life anchored in your relationship with the Lord? If not, or if you've been feeling a little wobbly, there's good news. It's a new day. And this is the Lord's work, not yours. 
And yet may we be diligent in these things. And may your heart be strengthened as you do. I'd like to close by praying for us. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for this letter that was penned so long ago and yet remains so relevant to our daily life. And I pray, Lord, that if if nowhere else, certainly here, that the faith and love one to another would be strengthening the hearts of your people. That we can look across the table or across the gym and we can see something that you will use, Lord, to mature us in faith. I pray, Lord, that just as we watch this magnificent, impressive construction site rise up from the ground along 169, that it would be for us this summer and next almost like a, a, a picture of this transformative, building, strengthening work that you are doing in each one of our lives. I pray, Lord, that this would be a body of believers that is characterized by standing firm. We ask that you would do this work, Lord, for your glory, for your purposes, and by the power of your Spirit. And we ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, Check us out online at thewychurch.org.